Right, Dr. McCullough, we are live now on Facebook and as well, this is going to be recorded for um, additional purposes. And I'm so glad that you joined us today. Uh, you are a renowned cardiologist and epidemiologist. You've been on the forefront of the fight for early treatment for patients for uh, this virus. And um, yesterday you spoke and you co-moderated a Senate hearing that was run by Senator Johnson. And um, it's about five hours long. We are going to provide the link to that entire thing uh, underneath of this interview. But there were a lot of, I mean, it was jam-packed with great information. But Dr. McCullough, tell us a little bit, give us a snapshot of um, how you feel overall that the hearing went. And are we going to start to see a tipping point now in the truth getting out to people? The hearing was held in a Senate Kennedy caucus room, and it was a jam-packed room. We had dozens of doctors, scientists, uh, lawyers, the media, and uh, it was live-streamed on multiple uh, national platforms. Uh, it was clear America needed a second opinion on COVID-19. I feel very good that we had you know, a full vetting of information. We went through. Uh, what's called the four pillars of pandemic response. Uh, what we've done on uh, number one, reducing the spread of illness, number two, early treatment, number three, hospital treatment, and number four, vaccine. So Senator Ron Johnson clearly, out of all the leaders in Washington, understands COVID-19 the best. He, he is deep in terms of his understanding and his perception. And it was a true honor to co-moderate this session with him. Yeah, it was a it was a wonderful session. You had um, you know people from from all over. We had ophthalmologists talking. Uh, we had Dr. Christina Parks, who is a scientist and very much understands virology. You had uh, several other doctors. If you want to mention, I know Dr. Robert Malone was there, the the co-creator of the mRNA technology. Tell us who else was there. You know, it was absolutely tremendous. So uh, you know, I covered internal medicine and cardiology. Dr. Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey covered uh, pulmonary medicine and critical care. Uh, Richard Urso uh, is an ophthalmologist, but he's also a medical scientist and inventor. We had, um, we had Aaron Cariotti, who is a psychiatrist and an ethicist. Uh, we had Mary Taylor Bowden, who's an uh, ear, nose, and throat, airway, sleep apnea specialist. Uh, we had John Witcher, who's a family medicine physician at the table. We had uh, 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 scientists. We had uh, David Wiseman, former J&J &J scientist for vaccine development, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, a consultant, and uh, someone who's contributed seminal uh, uh, contributions to vaccine development of messenger RNA. We had Dr. Christina Parks from Michigan, a renowned PhD a molecular biologist who trained at University of Michigan, as I did. I trained in graduate school at University of Michigan. But we had courageous nurses. Uh, we had patients. Uh, we had attorneys there. I mean, it really was a tremendous session. It was five hours of what people are saying is basically five hours of truth bombs for America. Yeah, it's incredible that this is going to be entered into a to an official record, you know, and and I think that too, I want to point out a couple things that stood out to me. One of the doctors mentioned what's happening on the FDA website that has caused so much misinformation and confusion. And he brought up the fact that it was actually fraudulent what the FDA is doing right now. Can you speak to that? 
That was brought up by Dr. Harvey Risch, who is an eminent epidemiologist, uh, he's an MD, PhD from Yale, who stated that the FDA on their website uh, back in 2020 put a uh, warning saying that no patient should receive hydroxychloroquine across the board, but the data uh, that were cited were just from a few small outdated inpatient studies. And since that time, there's over 300 supportive studies for the use of hydroxychloroquine. Its effect on COVID-19 is positive, but modest. But the FDA is basically committing fraud uh, by putting that statement on their website and then not updating it. Remember, the FDA works for us and they must have continual review and updating of information. And they've basically let that hang on this website. Uh, and I think it's misleading the public. It's clearly misleading doctors and healthcare administrators. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we have to talk about, too, the study that was performed by the Henry Ford uh, Health System in July of 2020 that said that all of the patients that were put on HCQ ended up being fine. And then what happened one month later, the FDA ordered all hospitals to cease uh, prescribing this, this medicine for for patients. And so we really see an attack on the, our country, on the American people. One of the doctors mentioned as well, another life-saving uh, FDA approved drug that's been on the market forever that of course the, the left media has spun it to be horse paste or horse medicine. Uh, that particular drug, another doctor spoke about of how effective it is and that uh, cited cases in, in towns across the world, including India, that have completely eradicated this virus with the use of that drug. Do you wanna to speak to that as well? Sure, That those data were presented by Dr. Pierre Corey, who's an eminent critical care physician uh, and has, holds a master's in public health. He's the leader of the Frontline Critical Care uh, Consortium. And uh, it's clear that ivermectin has basically solved COVID-19 in so many regions around the world. It, it has have a powerful effect, about a 70% impact on the illness, particularly when started early. And he cited Mexico, countries in South America, um, India. It's widely used in Japan. Uh, but many others chimed in. Dr. Rish from Yale did uh, pre present the data in terms of a forest plot of all the clinical trials. Uh, myself, I use ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So does, so does Dr. Merrick, Dr. Corey, Dr. Urso. Uh, we went around the table. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mary Itali Bowden uh, presented uh, the data and she uses widely uses hydroxychloroquine and her ivermectin in her practice. In fact, Houston Methodist Hospital used hydroxychloroquine widely in the first part of the pandemic, it was very successful. And just like Henry Ford, they withdrew from that practice and patient outcomes worsened. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, I just heard from several people in the last couple of days who have said, coming to me crying and saying, I've lost my loved one in the hospital because they were forced to be put on to remdesivir. Even patients who were aware that remdesivir shuts down organs, they and when they were admitted to the hospital, they would tell the, the staff, I do not want to be put on remdesivir. They found out days later that their loved one was put on remdesivir without their knowledge. This is happening, doctor, unfortunately, across the state of Michigan. I'm getting phone calls. So, so let's, can we speak to that a little bit about this deadly protocol that they're putting people on in hospitals, the amount of fear that people have to even go to the hospital to get treatment and why early treatment that you recommend is so important for people to have on hand so that in the event they begin to come down with symptoms, they, they don't have to wait for a prescription to come in, that they have it. 
The data on remdesivir was reviewed by Dr. Paul Merrick. Dr. Merrick uh, has over 500 peer-reviewed publications in the literature. He's considered the father of critical care. He has more experience than any doctor in the world in critical care. And he reviewed the data on remdesivir, and it's not positive. It simply is not positive. Remdesivir is not helping patients. Uh, it was the first EUA-approved product. Now I hear it's actually fully FDA approved. Uh, no, patients don't want it. They know it doesn't work. In fact, it causes harm. It causes both kidney and liver damage. Dr. Brian Artis from Texas has been an outspoken critic against <clears throat> uh, against uh, remdesivir because his father-in-law effectively died of remdesivir in the hospital. And, you know, I asked a question to Dr. Christina Parks around the table, and it was a very charged question. And I asked her point blank, uh, you know, knowing that African-Americans have double the mortality rate of uh, Caucasians, uh, are African-Americans being denied early treatment? And she looked at me deadpan and she said, yeah, my yeah. dad just died of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. you, you just, you can't make this stuff up, April. It was yeah. so charged. It was so emotionally charged. Um, we published recently with Fazio and colleagues in Italy, the golden period for treatment is the first three days of illness. And sadly, all these hospitalizations piling up in the United States and the deaths are a product of patients not receiving early treatment. We have wonderful treatments, everything from uh, virucidal nasal and oral washes, oral nutraceuticals. We have intravenous monoclonal antibodies that work great, particularly the GlaxoSmithKline Sotirivimab product. We had Dr. Harpo Magnet, uh, from the D.C. area around the tables who had probably the most experience with monoclonal antibodies on the East Coast uh, testify. It's clear these monoclonal antibodies are safe and effective. The oral antivirals I mentioned, additionally, we have now antivirals from Pfizer and Merck and the other sequence of drugs we use. It's just that patients aren't getting these medicines. And I basically told America from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on Sunday that that is, a, that is the crisis. The the, the issue of whether or not someone received a vaccine is irrelevant to the hospitalization. Yeah. The hospitalization is a reflection of people not getting early treatment. <clears throat> You're exactly right. Now, you asked a very important question at the Senate hearing yesterday uh, to all of the doctors and the people who were speaking, the scientists that were there. You said, how many of you in the room have experienced some form of censorship or a detrimental, um, you know, adverse event happening in your life for speaking out the truth regarding this pandemic and regarding treatments that are life-saving. And it was shocking what happened next. Tell us about it. About 80% of people raised their hand, April, myself included, and in that we have, um, you know, been uh, a victim of censorship or reprisal, professional damage. Many people have actually lost their jobs because they treated COVID patients because they attempted to deliver compassionate care. We heard from a nurse at um, Houston Methodist Hospital. She mm -hmm. had the bravery to go in the room and hold the hands of patients while uh, they were dying and she was trying to connect them with their loved ones. It was just absolutely heartbreaking to hear the stories. And yet she was fired because she could, didn't take the vaccine. And in fact, she couldn't take the vaccine because of allergies and she's already had COVID-19 illness. To hear these stories, it was like five hours of truth bombs. And I went out immediately and I told the nation in the rotunda uh, uh, on national TV what had happened in those Senate 
uh, chambers. And I can tell you right now, America is changed. This has this is an inflection point in history. It's it's well, it's much needed. It's something that we've all been craving and needing. Um, and tell me a little bit about. Of course, I know about the censorship that's happened with media. They they won't talk about it, or they convolute the truth to make people afraid. And of course, the the fear is what they want mm-hmm. to perpetrate over the screen. But um, you know, Doctor McCullough, can you tell me a little bit about some of the other conversations that were had during the hearing regarding uh, media's role in censoring this information. And hopefully, I'm hoping we can hold these media outlets accountable, but what, what was being said regarding that? You know, the, the speech regarding the media happened on Sunday on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and it was given by Del Bigtree, the leader of the High Wire, and That's who used great. to be a major executive for major media. And Dell looked across at the media stand, which was up high across mm-hmm. from the Lincoln Memorial. And he looked at them and he called them out specifically with respect to their role on censorship and their role in misleading America on the pandemic. And what Dell said, he says, I'm coming for you. And it was clear. It was beyond any shadow of a doubt. The media, the major media, and social media is culpable in the horrendous outcomes of the pandemic. They are accountable, and Del Bigtree called them out. I thought it was very charged. The media in the Senate uh, chambers, and believe me, all media was invited. All the major stations were invited. By the way, all the major scientific leaders, the heads of the NIH, CDC, and FDA, were all invited to hear a second opinion from eminent scientists, in fact, more eminent than those in our government agencies, more experienced, more published, and none of them showed up. None of them. That should tell America. Absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, it's a coordinated effort for sure. Um, you know, I want to talk about too the fact that during the the hearing yesterday, you know, there was a lot of focus concentration on the topic of natural immunity, which of course is another thing that has been so censored and misunderstood. Can you tell us, um, of course, we know that natural immunity is more effective, is is highly effective compared to getting vaccinated, but tell us a little bit more about what some of the doctors shared regarding that. We heard testimony from Dr. Paul Alexander, who's a former White House public health advisor. He's a former advisor to the World Health Organization, really probably the world's expert on evidence-based evaluation of COVID-19. And Paul had compiled uh, far more than 100 studies demonstrating that someone who's had COVID-19 has natural immunity, meaning it's uh, extremely unlikely they could ever get it a second time or have serious illness, end up on the ventilator or um, or die you know, with a second illness. It basically uh, uh, it doesn't happen. We, with Omicron, Omicron did break through natural immunity, creates a mild syndrome in those who are naturally immune. But it was clear that the naturally immune are the safest of all the individuals in an in environment, you know, an employee base. The employer would want to know who's naturally immune. The military or the sports leagues would want to know who's naturally immune. Those are the individuals who really are the most robust and protected. They're the least susceptible to any bad thing happening with COVID-19. And on top of that, Dr. Alexander broke the news, uh, which I um, had summarized previously in so many different uh, spots, that if you're naturally immune, it's a disaster to take the vaccine. The vaccine only causes harm in the naturally immune. I asked, I showed, I wanted a show of hands. 
Who in the room here has had COVID-19? 70% of people raise their hands. That's 70% of the people who don't need a vaccine. In fact, they're going to be harmed from a vaccine. I think that the science is clear on that. And doctor, I know your stance on the vaccine regarding children. I do want to spend some time on that because there's a lot of parents right now who are feeling pressure. They've been told by other doctors that their child needs to have this vaccine, especially if they're in sports or they are in travel sports. And so people have felt compelled to take their child to get this vaccine. Um, and now we're seeing a lot of adverse reactions happening to children with myocarditis. Children are dying. There's, um, it's, it's a horrible situation what's going on. Just this last week, I heard of um, a child fainting twice um, after getting this vaccine. And so can you tell us a little bit more, speak to us a little bit more on, again, there's no data that represents why children need to have this. That's absolutely true. You know, we reviewed neurologic complications, uh, cancer, what's called oncogenicity. Uh, we reviewed uh, allergic reactions, hematologic reactions, but there was one condition I wanted to call out specifically. I'm a cardiologist. This is my area. And it's the one area that the FDA clearly acknowledges that the vaccines cause myocarditis. Pfizer and Moderna have specific warnings on <clears throat> myocarditis. Uh, the, the, there's been an FDA CDC review. They have about 200 cases they found in June. Now we're over 20,000 cases of heart injury in young uh, persons. The peak age is actually 18 to 24. It's college kids, about 90% are men. I reviewed the data for the committee and, uh, and, and a compelling, uh, a compassionate call. In fact, April, we had a father attending whose son died of myocarditis. He's lost his son and he is absolutely distraught. And I made uh, the strongest case I could to America that no person under any circumstances should receive one of these COVID-19 vaccines, period, period. I can't be more clear to the country as a cardiologist and as a leading uh, authority on the topic, no one. Yeah, and we're so grateful that you were brave enough to stand up and speak out about this. And, and to all of the doctors on the panel, it was just an amazing, an amazing uh, session that you had. Um, we're starting to see a, a shift happen within the country. And, and I think that your work and the work of uh, Senator Johnson and uh, just to, to get the truth out there, um, I think that it's important to note, too, that you know, Dr. Robert Malone, who who spoke and had so much great information to share yesterday, he's been really targeted in the media ever since having the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. And you you've joined Joe Rogan as well. I, I saw that interview and that was phenomenal. Um, what 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 do you say to people who might be skeptical of yourself or people like Dr. Malone, who have been respected for years and years and years, and you're coming forward to kind of say, listen, we just need the, the public to know the truth. Um, what do you say to people who, who think, who have been brainwashed by the mainstream media? Um, yeah, I can say that none of us had a conflict of interest. We have no financial gain in all of this. Most of us have been, uh, you know, financially harmed, reputationally harmed, defamed. And, uh, you know, we are speaking out because, uh, you know, we are applying all of our scientific and clinical skills to help America draw sets of conclusions. Dr. Malone 
uh, is a developer of the messenger RNA technology. He took the vaccines himself. He was injured by the vaccines. He knows what they can do to the human body. And, you know, in, uh, an interesting moment in the testimony is uh, Dr. David Weisman, who's a former J&J &J scientist. Uh, he was uh, reading some detailed data about the code of the vaccines. And Dr. Malone disagreed. And there was a bit of a disagreement. And I pulled over Ron Johnson's shoulder. I said, this is what's supposed to happen. Yes. Two eminent scientists are disagreeing on a point. In fact, they got up. And they had a little sidebar conversation so they could get a common understanding. And then they sat down and I said, this is natural. This yes. is what is supposed to happen. There's supposed to be some scientific discourse, some disagreements, uh, different viewpoints. This is healthy. Scientific discourse and debate is healthy. And that's what Americans have not seen from our public health agencies. And the major media will give no window to this. Yeah. Americans know that they are being stonewalled by the major media and the major uh, social media platforms are being. And so they're going to platforms like yours to learn the truth. It's true. And uh, one last point, I know that you're busy, you have patients to take care of today, but I did want to, you know, at least touch on this topic of corruption, uh, that this is, there's nothing short of a coordinated effort to, to harm the American people. We're certainly seeing that uh, the interests of big pharma is more important than than actually public health. But of course they say it's under the guise of public health. Uh, but can you comment to that about the, that was brought up in the hearing yesterday regarding this fact that every decision that has been made in for public policy regarding this virus has been to benefit big pharma. Dr. Pierre Corey, a critical care specialist made that clear mm -hmm. that you're right. Actually has a good analysis, April. Every single decision that our public health agencies made was in favor of dollars going to big pharma. And the conflicts of interest, and Senator Johnson brought this out, are in the open. They're in the open. You know, we have the CEOs of the vaccine companies actually giving Americans advice on vaccines. They're obviously personally benefiting. Uh, the former FDA chairman who's now on the board of Pfizer, advises America on vaccines on one of the major TV stations. The, the, uh, another former FDA commissioner joined the venture capital firm that is uh, funding Moderna. There are NIH officers, Dr. Carriar pointed out, NIH officers that benefit from the patent position of the NIH with Moderna. So uh, it's clear, it's in the open. America should be smelling conflict of interest and they should be smelling something that isn't right with respect to the flow of money in this country, going to big pharma, uh, patients are losing, big pharma is winning. Dr. McCullough, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. The American people are grateful for you. You're a fantastic doctor and we appreciate your time. Thank you, April. Thank you, God bless you. God bless.